Greetings and welcome to Worship Matters, a podcast from Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church located in Music City, Nashville, Tennessee. This podcast deals with the intricacies of planning worship each week. I'm Derek Weber, Director of Preaching Ministries. And I'm Lisa Hancock, Director of Worship Arts. And during this time of transition from virtual to online and hybrid worship, the worship team has endeavored to provide conversations that inspire worship teams and leaders to seize this moment and realize the opportunities before the church, finding ways to help those worshiping with us to re-engage and shape the church we are becoming. So today, Lisa and I want to share our excitement about our upcoming Lenten worship series entitled Depths of Love. The first thing to make note of is that it begins on Valentine's Day. What an odd sort of occurrence to have Ash Wednesday and Valentine's Day there together. I don't know what you plan to do in your local setting, but I think you can't avoid at least a mention that says there's some sort of connection with that. And so the first heading for Ash Wednesday that we have is called There Your Heart Will Be. And we're taking it off of Jesus' conversation about treasures and where we put our hearts, because where our hearts is, there our treasure is. And so where where is our hearts? What is the focus of our hearts? And so I think it fits in really well with this whole idea about what are we going to do for Valentine's Day, and what does love mean in our context, and how are we called to be a people of love in the midst of that, even on Ash Wednesday when we're reminded of our mortality when we're reminded of our sinfulness, when we're reminded that we fall short of the ideal to which we are called, and yet we still have an opportunity and a calling and a joy to be able to love like we are called to love. So how do we express that? What does that look like? What might we do differently this year on Ash Wednesday, that's Valentine's Day, to help us mark this occasion in any way? So Lisa, tell us Tell us what you picture when you put together some resources for this. Well, part of what I began to picture is, in my experience in the past, a lot of times kind of the way we set up the space for Ash Wednesday is incredibly solemn, it's introspective, and it doesn't have a lot of color. And yet we're coming into this season where... Yes, there's solemnity, there's some darkness that's coming, but we're not quite there yet. And we've just come off of transfiguration, which is kind of like this bright light and glory. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can almost imagine a cornucopia of glory, right? Just all kinds of symbols and colors and shiny things if you're working with kids. And then we come into Ash Wednesday, and I wonder, I, I began to wonder about what does it look like to prepare the space physically, spiritually, emotionally, to be a place where we're we are realigning. We are to God and to one another in love. We are realigning with creation in love. So what if we shifted the cornucopia of glory from being bright and shiny and glorious into a cornucopia of the earth? like regrounding mm-hmm. ourselves, you know, from dust you came into dust you shall mm-hmm. return. And there's a grittiness, yes, to Ash Wednesday, but what would it look like to let the altarscape be, that altar area be more than just, we've put down a purple cloth, now it's Lent, but be a place where you've got 
rocks and sand and dirt and even maybe a couple of palm branches to remind us that Sunday's palms become Wednesday's ashes mm-hmm. and how that that cycle, that we're re-entering that cycle in Lent. And then with that, being really intentional in liturgical resources to call one another into this place while also recognizing what's happening out on the streets. We need to realign to God. We need to confess, yes, but also we need to name the real hurt and the real struggles that we have that we are bringing with us into that place because it's not just about telling God all the bad that we have done. It is also about recognizing the corporate sin and that God receives our confession. There's a trust that we place in God to bring that. So you'll find a prayer of confession that is really centered around not just individual, but corporate confession of sin. And also recognizing, uh, like naming the good news. I don't know how many times outside of the communion liturgy, how often do you actually say to each other, receive the good news that you are forgiven? Mm-hmm. That's a critical part of what we're doing in Ash Wednesday to lead us into the season of Lent. It's part of the realignment, you know, that where your heart is there, your treasure will be. And so where has our heart been? Where does it need to be? Yes. And so we're rethinking all of that and admitting yeah. that at times we've gotten it wrong, that sometimes we do like the shiny things. Yes. <laughs> And so, therefore, to reorient that and to ask ourselves, what's really valuable? And to focus on this world, the creation, the things that you described there in the cornucopia, but but also hidden in that is the idea of relationship and community. Yeah. And we're all in there together. And so, we're reorienting ourselves, even though there's an individual aspect of the mm-hmm. season of Lent and this introspection and self-reflection and all that, there's also this corporate, as you were saying with the prayer, there's this corporate idea that says we we need to bind ourselves together to to put our hearts in the common space, the shared space, so that we can we can make this journey together. There's no way we can make it on our own. Yeah, yes, we need individual emphasis, but but we also need the body to to go with us. One of the things we we need to admit at this point is that Diana is not with us, who usually does the music, and the music is not yet. Post it on the site. So, so what will we sing? Well, there's there's a whole section in in the hymnal yes. <laughs> that, that covers some of these sorts of things. But but one of the things that that we can think about singing are, are things that offer ourselves to God again for reorientation songs that mm-hmm. that remind us that we're in this together. How do we how do we refocus ourselves? How do we take this step on on Ash Wednesday to say we are ready? For this journey, you know, Lord, who yeah. throughout these forty days is is always a good beginning that just says we're in this together. Walk with us, help us, and all of those yes. sorts of things. Yes, and I, you know, I think that a Lord throughout these forty days, you know, go to that one and listen to the tune as well, because I think there's an opportunity when we have these longer seasons, we can get really bogged down and like, oh my gosh, we got to do something new. We've got to. Mm-hmm. Like, man, I've got to keep this same theme going (laughs) for the next however many weeks. Um, Sometimes it feels easier to deal with a three or four week instead of a six or seven or eight week, depending on how you decide to put all of these things together. 
But the tune to Lord throughout these 40 days can really be applied to a lot of different texts. So, you know, open yourself to, you know, maybe you sing a verse of that throughout Lent, (laughs) or maybe you draw that tune in and out to remind people to bring that to mind, but also apply it to texts that maybe they've never sung it before, but the tune is familiar enough that they can open themselves up and kind of find, even if it's not that, find a thread that can draw you in and start it on Ash Wednesday. You know, I think that's the other thing is we can kind of get into, here's the music for Ash Wednesday. I don't know how many times I have sung a version of Psalm 51 (laughs) during Ash Wednesday. And there's some beautiful versions out there. So if you want to do that, absolutely. It's completely appropriate. But it's also an opportunity to introduce something that will actually be a companion throughout Lent so that Ash Wednesday gets connected to the Sundays mm-hmm. instead mm-hmm. of kind of being this set-alone starting point. Right. Yeah, it's a launching pad in a way, and so therefore we need to stay grounded there throughout that, that whole process. So let's let's look then at the weeks of, of Lent. There are five weeks, five Sundays that, that we are covering. You may worship on Saturday or Wednesday as well, but uh, but there are five different moments throughout this before we come to Palm Passion Sunday and all that, and we'll cover those together here in a moment. But but I want to talk about those those five weeks, not individually. There's a lot of information that's on the site, and you can read yep. and see about that. But uh, but let's think about this overview. The first thing to note about the preaching texts for these Sundays is that we start with the Gospel of Mark and then shift to the Gospel of John. That's a common Lenten process. We start with whatever Gospel is chosen for the lectionary year. We're in year B, so we're looking at Mark. But then we let John then speak us through the second half or and Holy Week because there's so much more detail and, and richness. But it is that very contrast that I find fascinating in, in this year's Lent to compare Mark and then John, because Mark is so spare in his narrative, so indirect. I, I spend some time in the first week, the wilderness wandering, the temptations in the desert section on, on the first Sunday in Lent, talking about how Mark doesn't give us very much, <laughs> and that our inclinations, let's go to Matthew, or let's go to Luke and see what they have to say, because they outline the questions, and they outline the conversation, where Mark doesn't do any of that. And so we ask the question, what is important? What's going on here? And what is this really all about? And I think that if we take that attitude, particularly through the first half of the season of Lent, and asking the question, how is Mark not inadequate, but focusing, helping us, Mm -hmm. bringing us to some really important, some crucial questions that he's having us ask? And where does he speed up and where does he slow down? That's the one thing about the Gospel of Mark. I love preaching the Gospel of Mark because there's a breathless quality to it. And I like preaching like that. Like we're we're in a hurry and we got to get it all out. And that's how Mark writes the whole Gospel. His favorite word, as you know, is immediately. But then he slows down. There are places where he slows down. And so let's dwell here a moment. And that slowing down is is powerful in and of itself. So ask yourself as you're as you're going through, what is Mark trying to help us see and experience and know and then begin to live out as we talk about all of those things? So we have we have the temptations in in the wilderness, and we have Jesus' conversation with 
with Peter about having to suffer and all of that. And what does that really mean? And and what is he what is the argument there? What is he forcing Peter to think about? And then we shift over to John and we talk about John and how John presents all of these stories and how it feels somewhat sometimes, at least to me, out of order. John starts with the turning over the temples rather than letting it come toward the end. Mm-hmm. This chapter two, for heaven's sakes, that, that Jesus is turning over tables, almost as if, as if that's setting an agenda. Yep. And, and what I try to focus on there, and this is the third Sunday in Lent, the title is I Will Raise It Up. What he's trying to focus on there is that worship is at the center of what we do. And of course, we, the worship team, would pick up on that. <laughs> but that's, <laughs> that's what we hear him saying, you know, and that worship is is the core and, and the right approach to worship. It's not just the right words and the right order and the right, although those things are important that we spend time putting our services together. But it's always about the right approach, the right attitude, the right intention. As he says in turning over the temple is take these things out of here. You know, they're they're in the way of true worship. And that's that's the invitation that he's giving. And then and then the fourth Sunday uh, we have this passage from John where where he's talking with Nicodemus, but it's the second part. We don't have the beginning of that. We have the end of that where he says people love darkness rather than light. Here's a true confessional moment. But what does it mean to love the darkness and love the light? How do we do that? If love, we go back to Ash Wednesday, where your heart is. If love is our calling, our identity, why does Jesus now say this, that we love darkness rather than light? And how do we love the light? And what does it mean to to do all of that? And then the next week, the fifth Sunday, as we finish up these weeks of, of the season of Lent in the midst of that, the title is Whoever Serves, so that loving the light and serving are kind of bookends of the same idea, and that there's a corporateness, there's a, a, a reaching out to one another, it is lifting up, and that loving the light is about seeing people around you and finding opportunities and reaching out. Here again, we have this idea that says, that says Lent is all about seeing myself. But I think there's a call this year, if not every year, to see beyond ourselves, to see a wider world, to see a world in need, and, and our responsibility and opportunity, and indeed our joy, to be able to live a life of love in front of a hurting world. Yes, we bring our hurts, and we do admit that, that we, we too are hurting, and we need the grace of God, we need the good news told to us again and again and again, but we also then become bearers of that good news, living that out. So how do we serve? How do we love? How do we, how do we wrestle? How do we face all of the things that God has put in front of us in this season? Mm-hmm. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> how, do you, how are you going to walk through all of that in, oh, man. in our liturgy? <laughs> well, you know, I actually want to start with kind of stepping back and thinking through the art that we put in the space and mm. some of the graphics that we're providing for this series. Because if you if you go on the website and you look, you're going to notice that all of the individual graphics for the whole series are pictures of hands. And that is the 
the trajectory that it's taking. It's all different kinds of hands and it's hands doing all different kinds of things. And, you know, sometimes when we're putting these graphics together and I'm trying to find something that can link them all together, it's it's a scene or it's a, you know, a feeling or whatever. And these are kind of all over the place. It's the hands that matter. And I think what kept coming back for me is that we often put pictures of hands out there as indications of like hands doing something, right? Like mm-hmm. how many times do you ever just kind of watch a hand sitting around doing nothing? Mm-hmm. I mean, even on that show Wednesday, you've got thing that's running around on his little fingers. I know, like, you know, like Mm -hmm. hands are never still. But it was important as I was putting that together to also think about the hands as hands, not just as the place that we are doing for others, which is so critical in that fifth Sunday of Mm -hmm. service, you know, that all of this is leading up to our life in the depths of love that God has for us. Our life is one of service when we respond to that love with one another. But also, these are hands that pray. These are hands that lift up. These are hands that touch the earth. These are hands that are worshiping. And so I I really kind of want to draw, draw you into that and also recognize that hands make us think about what we are touching. It creates this tactile experience, even just looking at them. But then what, what does it look like to draw the tactile into worship, to surround the place with different textures that are appropriate to wilderness, that are appropriate to being at the temple? Like what, how do we how do we imagine what that scene was, right? Mm-hmm. Where mm-hmm. where Jesus is turning over everything and saying, this is not acceptable. And I'm not saying necessarily create chaos up on the chancel, but there was a fair amount <laughs> of maybe. chaos. And, but maybe. <laughs> yeah. But to that end, it's not just about what we can see and what we can touch with our hands, but also how are we creating an environment that draws people into these texts, into these stories, and into these practices. So one of the things that I immediately think of with Has Come Near and Confession Time, we're doing this at my church. I am helping prepare the children to do that, and I will give you a report later about how it goes. But (laughs) you know, here we are, this first Sunday of Lent, and we've got to go through this text that is just boom, 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 action, 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 scene, 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 like two, three totally different environments Mm -hmm. in the space of six verses, right? And so we're actually having the kids come up and the kids are going to act this out. We'll have a narrator, we'll have a Jesus, we'll have a distant God voice somewhere speaking Mm -hmm. at the baptism. But then we're also exploring what does it look like to have one of the kids be the Holy Spirit that is active but not speaking through this whole thing? What does it look Mm -hmm. like to depict the angels that are tending? What does it look like to actually have the kids help us recognize the moves between these three different scenes? So don't be afraid to get the kids involved in these stories. Because for us, part of this is making sure that the kids also know, like, we're in Lent now. And this is a really important story in Lent that we always start with. Then, you know, I I think moving forward, you've got so many opportunities. So 
in the I will raise it up. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. So this is the week where Jesus is flipping the tables. And as mm-hmm. I say in the notes, like if you think it's early, it is. But, you know, we're dealing with this in relationship not to the triumphal entry, but really kind of in the middle of Lent. And so what does it look like for us to actually use this as an opportunity to teach about worship while we're doing worship, to to really let people in behind the veil a little bit? If you're a congregation that's done that before, you know how important it can be, but we're not getting everybody every week. So what does it look like to help people kind of go, oh, this is what we do in worship. And obviously Jesus cared about what was happening at the temple. So Jesus mm-hmm. cares about how and what we're doing here. And if I may say, let me interrupt you just for a moment and say, what we do with our hands in worship is one of those questions we always wrestle with. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> you know, there are some traditions that know, you know, the raising of the hands or the clapping or, or yeah. whatever, you know, what. but a lot of us, a lot of context where we lead worship and, and present worship, people don't know what to do. And so to help them think about what are your hands doing yes. while your heads are doing certain things or your mouth is doing something. So yes. to think about that movement, that responding, yeah. that, that you know, so the whole hands idea I think is crucial. And, and mm-hmm. this Sunday may be a good time to actually talk about it. What are we going to do with our hands? What, yeah, what do we do with these? Well, and then I think kind of within that, that, Worship is a whole embodied experience. And so that's where I think kind of setting the scene, helping people experience these texts throughout Lent in a really intentional way that gets their bodies involved. And that does not mean you have to do calisthenics, but if you want to, great. But I I also think like in loving the light, when we come on the fourth Sunday in Lent and we are jumping into this conversation that Jesus is having with Nicodemus. That is such an intimate conversation. This Mm -hmm. is not Jesus out in front of a crowd. This is Jesus down one-on-one with Nicodemus, probably with some people listening in the back. But we really get this kind of, it's around the lamplight, it's dark outside, so there's not tons of milling about. They're definitely in like some kind of home So what does it mean for you to bring that down and to introduce the scripture and share the text in an intimate way Mm. with the congregation? That this is not a proclamation that is loud. This is a, we're talking about some serious things and some important wisdom right here together. Like we're in front of a fire drinking some hot cocoa or something Mm -hmm. like that. So- I think if we can embody that with our people, we're actually we're actually inviting them into a what do I do with my body? Oh, I can actually have a body in this space. <laughs> right, I can yeah. <laughs> I can engage with all of that. So these are just some suggestions for really kind of trying to enliven these texts that may feel very familiar mm-hmm. and yet always have something new for us. I would also name, again, every week we're providing a call to worship, a prayer for the day, a prayer of confession, and a benediction. I so encourage, and I'm going to sound like a broken record, but take a moment to look at the prayer of confession. What a season for confession. We don't just do it on Ash Wednesday. But find a way to incorporate confession, even if it's not these or if it's built into your prayers of the people, 
this is such an important time for us to use confession again as that reorienting, but also as a way to deepen our understanding of what's happening in proclamation during Lent and in the the work that grace and the Holy Spirit are doing in us as we travel with Christ towards the cross. Mm-hmm. I, I think there are a couple of things I want to respond to in all of that, Lisa. Great, great stuff. One of them is to, to just piggyback on what you're saying, to think about the mood mm-hmm. and not just the content. What What's the setting? What does it feel like? You know, put ourselves in that context and, you know, which ones are the loud, you know, the turning over tables is a very public kind of thing. And then the sitting around the fire talking about loving the light or loving darkness and all that kind of stuff. What What is the mood and how do we enhance that mood? How do we live into that mm-hmm. mood? And then and then the second thing, again, filling in for, for our missing member, that sometimes confession can be sung as well as yes. said. There are some yes. hymns that we have that, that invite us to, to make that confession in, in a public kind of way. And so, so here again, what we're asking is that we listen to the words that we sing. We don't just yep. sing the things that sound nice or that we know well, but that yep. are actually trying to say something. And even yeah. some of the familiar ones, you know, to step back for a moment, maybe as we introduce the hymn or, or shortly after the hymn, we say, do you realize what you just said? Do you realize what was in there? And to just pay attention to some of those words, I think, is, That's right. is vitally important for that intentionality about worship, for that right attitude and right place. Are we in the right place right. when we gather for worship? Right. It it also occurs to me, you know, one of the, the themes that, kind of draws in and out of Lent. And you'll find it in some of the liturgical resources. I know you'll find it in some of the music resources. And certainly in what we've talked about here is that tension of light and darkness. <laughs> and I think this is a place where really encourage, and we tend to put within our resources, being really attentive to what that is trying to say in the biblical text, what it's trying to say in a hymn, and also be really aware of what damage that has done mm-hmm. to our African-American siblings, to a number of people throughout history. And so what does it look like, as you said, Derek, to actually name that in confession so that we rethink the way we understand a hymn that we're singing that maybe mm-hmm. uses light and dark as a metaphor, but work really intentionally to decouple what has been harmful to people from the actual message of the gospel, which is that God's depths of love carry with us whether we are in light or darkness, right? Whether mm-hmm. through all of it, God is with us. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's an overarching message as we're looking at the depths of love. That's the, the overall title of this. And so we're looking at what Christ, what Jesus, what God in Jesus was willing to do continues to do for us and with mm-hmm. us and and to walk with us in difficult places asking yes. difficult questions in some ways it'd just be easier to say oh well everybody knows you know yeah no, uh, everybody doesn't know we have to pay attention right. and ask some of right. those questions that are hard right and that draws us deeper into the depths right, right. like that there's a if god is eternal and infinite there is always more for us to dive into and to 
you know, even if it feels like we're returning to something again and again, we are also going deeper in, in relationship with God and in love of God and neighbor. Right. It's never, oh, here we go again. You know, it's never yeah, this big right. thing. There are always more depths. There's always more to hear. Yeah. Particularly when you then come to the end of the season and you look at Holy Week, Home Sunday, Passion Sunday, Holy Week, all those kinds of things. Some years in past, we have separated them out, say they stand on their own, they're their own kind of thing. Other years, we try to fold them into the themes and the season. This year, we decided to keep going. But how you approach it depends on your context and your traditions and what you're used to doing. But but we want to present this, this idea that Palm slash Passion Sunday is a part of the depths of love, is an expression of that, a living out of that in front of us. And you have to decide in your own local context where the balance is between palm slash passion. Sometimes in my history, you know, spent all my time focusing on the Palm Sunday because that's the celebration, that's the party, that's the event, and that's the fun one where you can have kids marching <laughs> around and waving palms and bring in a donkey or, you know, whatever you want to do for all of that. But in order to have the full experience of what this statement that that Jesus was making by riding into the city, then we also have to at least introduce the idea of the passion, of, of the sacrifice that he was making. That yes, he's declaring himself to be a prince of peace, a king of peace by riding on a donkey rather than a war horse. And, and yes, there is this call to Hosanna, to salvation, to, to being rescued and, and claimed and loved. And it was also an identifier saying, this is who I am. I am staking my claim. Well, particularly if we're thinking about the Gospel of Mark, there's this messianic secret that up to now he's been saying, keep it quiet, don't talk, don't tell. Yeah. You know, And it was so that, I think, in part at least for this moment, so that now the announcement is made and how vital that is. But again, it's not just about him, it's about us in relationship to him. So we come to this Sunday always with a question, you know, how much of the story do we need to tell? How much do we need to experience? What do we need to live into? Mm -hmm. And I believe in part we need both sides of it in some mm -hmm. form or another in order to fully experience what's going on here. Yeah. You know, Palm Passion, I grew, I grew up in a, and I think many of our listeners probably did as well, where, as you said, Derek, you know, Palm Sunday is just about the triumph, mm -hmm. right? It's just about the celebration. But, you know, I, again, I, I feel like I'm just reiterating what Derek has already said. We, we really wrestle with how to balance these things. And so you'll kind of find in the worship planning notes a lot of options mm -hmm. because what you're doing in your context, what you're planning for doing for the rest of Holy Week really matters. And we want to kind of give you some things to think about and to creatively assess what you can do in your context. One of the things that I did explore, though, is what it means to do Palm Passion without getting all the way to Good Friday, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. Or like get us to Maundy Thursday if you have a Maundy Thursday service or get us to Good Friday without fully kind of 
getting there. So one of the ways that I have in particularly found meaningful to do this is to end the service. Certainly think about the energy of the service going from the high triumph down into like really grasping and and grappling with the precarity of the whole situation for Jesus, yes, but also for the crowds because crowds Mm -hmm. don't turn from triumph to condemnation in that little bit of time without there being some precarity involved. They Mm -hmm. are feeling the stress of their own oppressed situation. But using the a stripping of the altar or at least a shifting of the altar of what's on the altar as part of the worship service near the end so even having a benediction of sorts and inviting everyone to be seated or to stay in their seats while a stripping of the altar which is the remover removal of everything off of the altar except if if you're going all the way to good friday maybe a very simple cross left on the altar, but mm-hmm. everything else is left bare. Or if you're planning to do Monday Thursday, stripping the altar, and then you can put down, you can actually, if you, you know, if these are in your closet in your church somewhere and you only get to pull them out once a year, you actually can use red pyramids for Monday Thursday. So True. that's a mm-hmm. that's an official thing that you can do. <laughs> um, I yeah. know if you if you you know if you're a rule follower like me, you're like, oh I can bring out the red again. But you can you could use that opportunity to set the altar up to put down a red pyramid or another color as is appropriate for Holy Week and put a patent and a chalice on there to basically you're setting the table and preparing it for Monday Thursday put out a basin if you it, you know to reference the the foot washing so mm-hmm. there are things that you can do to help your people kind of get in there and engage with the fact that as a benediction that we have offered for Palm Passion Sunday says transformation it's a week of transformation it transformation's going to meet you because transformation happens in Holy Week. It's not a great transformation during a lot of it, but it is important that we go through it with Christ. Amen. It's a deep, again, the depths of love. It's a deep transformation, even though it's hard sometimes to accept. Yeah. So if we think about Monday, Thursday, then again, depending on your tradition, your experience, you know, where's the emphasis? Is it the meal? Is it the foot washing, is it the commandment? Monde, mondatum mm-hmm. is about the commandment. That's where the name comes from. A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. But some churches, some communities I know have emphasized the meal and not so much the foot washing or, or the commandment. Yeah. And so how do you then bring out this idea, this invitation that says, in this meal, partaking of this body, this blood, this flesh, this life, we are now being transformed into something new, and that something new will be recognizable by how we love. That's mm-hmm. that's the key to the commandment. By this, everyone will know that yes. you are my disciples. And so the title of Monday Thursday is, By This, Everyone Will Know. And so emphasizing the this, what is the this? Mm-hmm. And how do we live that out? How do we mm-hmm. express that? You know, we had we had foreshadowing of that earlier in the season of Lent with the loving the light, and that's pointing toward this moment that says, okay, now we have this commandment to love. 
And loving by commandment is not an easy thing. Hmm. And it is not an emotional thing. It's an act of will that yeah. sometimes fights against our emotions. So how do we claim that? How do we claim that as we come forward to, to feed, to eat the meal? How do we come forward? How do we claim that as we come forward to have our feet washed or to wash someone else's feet? Or whatever is our tradition to do, how is it pointing toward this new way of being? And let me pause there for a moment. We keep talking about this new way of being as if we've never loved before. <laughs> and I know that's not true. And I know, and I've heard over the years, people have said, this is, excuse me, this little aside, uh, people have said, wait, we don't need prayers of confession because we do those things, you know. When we say, I've not loved my neighbors, I have loved my neighbors. But but again, with the depths, there's always more. And, mm -hmm. and there's always that inclination we have to keep to ourselves or, or to turn away. And so confession just reminds us of the need to continually look for opportunities to love, look for opportunities, look for ways to express love yep. to our neighbors. So yep. that's part of what confession does. It's not mm -hmm. just... I'm a terrible person and I haven't done anything. It is, it is claiming that we acknowledge that God continually calls for more. Yeah. And then gifts us with the more to give mm -hmm. as well. So it's a, mm -hmm. it's a partnership kind of process in that. So how do we love? How do we promise to love? How do we hear the commandment to love? What, what can we do liturgically that helps us mm. think about those loving acts. Yeah. I mean, I think the key here liturgically is you have to do something during this service, mm. right? Like we can't just sit and receive like, and receiving is important and there is an activity to receiving, but I think Maundy Thursday is this really critical rehearsal space for practicing the mandate to love one another. You know, I, I don't, I have a young child. I can tell him to do something and I can tell him how to do it. If I don't sometimes sit down and say, I'm going to go step by step with you and do it with you, he, mm. he's not going to know how to do it. Right. Because that's where he's at. And honestly, there are still times, you know, you wonder why cooking shows are so helpful like people want to watch them. I mean, I love watching all kinds of things, but I also have learned how to do something I didn't understand how to do just by reading it. I needed mm -hmm. someone to demonstrate it so I could copy it. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's what it, part of what Maundy Thursday has to be about. Now, how that looks in your context and in your liturgical space, uh, there are so many options. You know, I think a potluck dinner... Mm -hmm. Worship is not a bad way to observe Maundy Thursday. Mm -hmm. Like, what does it look like for us to also gather around a table to share that space with our friends, to break bread, literally or figuratively, and to share the things that are troubling our hearts to in that way go with Jesus and one another to the Garden of Gethsemane, but to actually stay awake to one another and to mm. Jesus in that moment. There can be a liturgy to that. There can be a structure to that that can help us and can help us engage with 
this is how we love one another. There's also, if you're going to have it in your typical worship space, one of the things that we have provided is a Holy Communion liturgy that actually draws in this idea of foot washing, but instead of foot washing, because if you're going, Lisa, whoa, that is too much logistical. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't do a foot washing. It actually gives some instructions for what a hand washing Mm -hmm. would look like as you go to the table. So it incorporates this, you know, the, the John 13 text about the foot washing and also draws in the Holy Communion liturgy. And then, you know, as you go towards the table together, you wash one another's hands and then you go receive together. I mean, these are ways that we can practice Mm -hmm. this mandate that reflect the text either in a You know, you could be very literal about reflecting the text by getting out basins and washing people's Mm -hmm. feet. You can be creative with it by washing hands, or you can be um, even kind of more, what does this look like in our context? Well, in our Mm -hmm. context, this might look like a potluck. So Mm -hmm. there are lots of options here. But one of the things I really encourage is if this doesn't feel solemn enough, that's for Good Friday. We're we're getting to Good Friday. There is something about even the joy shared around the table in the upper room Mm -hmm. that we have to draw on and recognize that that's critical for helping us go through the Good Fridays. Amen. And that those go together. And that's part of what Holy Week helps us rehearse is the tension of those things in Jesus's life that he demonstrates so that we can then do it in our own lives. So I'll be interested to hear your response to this. I love that idea that Monday, Thursday is where we have to do something. I think Good Friday, as we come to the end of this series, that Good Friday is the opposite, that it is yeah. not doing, it's sitting, it's receiving, it's being present. Yes. And, and, and it's not about the actions, you know, I've, you know, we tried nailing things onto a wooden cross. We tried yeah. all kinds of different ways to to get into that experience. But, but I really think that maybe that Good Friday is best just to be present, just to be there and to hear the proclamation. In the preaching notes, I say, if you choose to preach and that there may be reasons to not preach, on, yeah. to just read the scripture, to just present that. You know, some services do tenebrae on Good Friday and just mm-hmm. read the stories that it goes through and there's there's some powerful reasons to do that but if you choose to preach it keep it as close to telling the story as you possibly can and just be present there and and in in some ways the interpretation and then the action comes a couple days later on easter Mm -hmm. sunday you know that's the response to all of that and it's god's response first before it is our response Mm -hmm. But that Good Friday is is not our day. It's our day to be yeah. in awe. It's our day to to weep. It is our day to to recognize what depths of love really means. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. No, I I absolutely agree. And I think with that, one of the things that I would encourage is, you know, the visual space, even the aural, the musical space can be pretty bare on Good Friday. And there's a reason for that. Like, that's really important. This is not the time to be bringing out the floral crosses and the gold crosses. You know, like this is, this is very bare. 
we actually don't recommend in the book of worship that you have any paraments Mm -hmm. on the altar because you want it to be very stark. With that, though, if we're inviting people into the story, I think there is an opportunity to really read the John 18 text or whichever, you know, even the Tenebrae text, if that's what you choose to do, read those and ask, what is this telling me about the setting and Mm -hmm. how can I depict that? Now, I'm not talking about go build sets. I'm talking about like, what is creation doing? Mm -hmm. What happens to the veil in the temple? What kind of wood is the cross? Like, what are these things and how can we tactilely represent those to help people enter into that space? Because I think to your point, Derek, whatever prayers we choose, whatever structure of service we choose, whatever hymns we choose, this is about choosing to be, if I could put it this way, among the women and the one disciple, the one male disciple. Mm-hmm who'd refuse to look away and come close to the cross. And that's what we want to invite people into in the way we structure the liturgy, in the way we set the space, and in the ways we choose our music and our silences in this time. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. It's about presence uh, in the end. It is Christ's presence with us in that sacrificial, heart-bearing kind of way. Mm-hmm. But it is our presence with, with him in in yeah. that moment. That's that's all the farther we can go. You know? Yeah, uh, yeah. And I find power in that. Yeah. Well, this is this is we'd love to talk forever about <laughs> Lenten would. worship. We could go on and on and on, but we've gone on long enough. Resources are there, and more will be coming onto mm-hmm. the site as they're they're created. We just invite you to to find some thoughts, some ideas. Again, let's remind everyone that this it is not our intention that you slavishly follow what we present. No. We're wanting to spark your imagination and, and to help you find ways in your context to bring to life these ideas, to experience mm-hmm. and express the depths of love that Christ has for us. Absolutely. And... You know, I think to leave it off, Easter is coming. Not only is Easter coming, but we will be coming back and talking about Easter and Eastertide. So we are just so thankful that you've joined us for this conversation, and we hope that this has been helpful to you. Remember that you can find more information at our website at umcdiscipleship.org. We want you to tell us what you think, so send us an email. Until next time, we will be praying for you and with you and your congregation. May God continue to bless your worship ministry as you make disciples for the transformation of the world. This podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.